1: Welcome to episode 158 of Maximize Your Influence. I am Steve Olson, and I have Kurt Mortensen here with me. We want to remind everybody before we get into the show to go ahead and follow us on Twitter at InfluenceMax or like us on Facebook. We have a page there where we release some cool stuff that will supplement you in your persuasion journey, becoming a better closer, a better influencer, a better person or a better pickup artist, whatever it is you're in this for. Kurt, welcome. Happy Monday morning to you as we record this. It's been a weekend of food and football, and anything else happen?
0: Loving the food and football. It's always a good combination. weather's getting a little cooler, like we've talked about. And I've been enjoying being home for a couple weeks. I'm off to Boston, I think, this week or next week. It's all blur. But just being home, getting things done, as we've talked about. When you're home, you get things done. When you're on the road, you're not working, right, as people think. And it's been good, just good relaxation. I'm, I could be close to 89%, I think. 89%. <laughs>
1: on right. a Monday morning.
0: On a Monday morning, so yeah, I'm refreshed, relaxed, loving the world of persuasion influence, love laughing at politics, although we're not going to probably talk about that today. We're going to give you some great tools that change your life.
1: Yeah, yeah. It's going into October here soon, so we'll have plenty of politics coming up. It's just kind of sad. <laughs>
0: It is. Let's talk about one tool wonders. It's just the same tool over and over for most of them, and you get tired of it. Everyone I talk to is tired of it and just say, wait, do we have a choice here? What's going on?
1: Yeah. Well, have you noticed the uptick in presidential ads on TV?
0: I have seen a lot of presidential ads, and I talked to someone from Iron last week, and they were trying to convince me who to vote for. Oh, really? (laughs) Yeah well, you should do this, and what about this? Have you thought about this? I read this article. I'm like, A, how do you know about this? B, why do you care? And C, why are you telling me what to do? What's
1: that Irish guy do? He sounds like an American telling everybody what to do in their business.
0: (laughs) I know. I was like, okay. I just thought it was really interesting. And even when I go to the Middle East, they have their political opinions and different things. So it's interesting how it permeates people worldwide, this circus we're going
1: through. Yeah, yeah. Everybody, the whole world does watch the, the American presidential election more than any other election, so... It'll be a fun one.
0: Probably because they think it's a sitcom.
1: <laughs> I <laughs> think it's a sitcom.
0: Oh, all right. That's what it is. It's just a sitcom. Oh, hey, the show's back on.
1: <laughs> no matter what happens. <laughs> Look they're... at
0: these characters in these shows. Where do they get these actors? This is funny. Like, no, this is real life.
1: Yeah, no, sorry. Dude. Whichever <laughs> one of these we put up in there is going to have a lot of influence over the world, as they usually do. <laughs> yeah. And is undoubtedly going to be blamed for many of the world's problems.
0: Oh, yeah. That's a good one.
1: Yeah. Well, in the meantime, you know, we've certainly got to up our game on persuasion and influence skills. If the economy goes in the toilet, right, you've got the best persuaders tend to survive and tend to thrive no matter who's in charge. So that's what we're here to help with. And we're happy that you're listening to the show at a killer interview last week with Chris Voss about negotiations, some of the things that he learned while negotiating for the FBI. And we will continue a little bit on some of that today. But in the meantime, Kurt gets to punch the Urkel button and cite whatever obscure psychological journal he's going to cite today and tell us what the article is.
0: <laughs> Urkel, go. <laughs> so this journal, I'm sure you already have this one, Steve. It's called Gerontologist. That's
1: the one I keep on top of the toilet. Tank.
0: <laughs> I knew. Yeah. I knew that's when you were already reading that you were their top subscriber. You get probably two or three versions just to make sure you get read. one in the car, the one month.
1: on the toilet, one on the nightstand. <laughs>
0: There you go. Well, they did a study together with Georgia State University talking about how self-initiated laughter can make you feel better. And we just had a show recently on humor and laughter, and there's a different correlation between that and being able to persuade somebody. But they're like, hey, no, there's some health issues here. Not only does it put someone in a better mood, there's, it affects our health. And they quoted American physician and philosopher William James who said, we don't laugh because we're happy. We're happy because we laugh. And I thought that was a great quote. And so they did some studies, and it's pretty interesting what they found out. First of all, they kind of looked at laughter and the benefits of laughter. And this is what's interesting about the study. They said the benefits of laughter are believed to be rooted in our nervous system. And what they said is any type of laughter stimulates diaphragmatic, there's the word of the day, breathing, activates the parasympathetic nervous system. I think I got that right. And triggers the health and tone in our nervous system. Basically, 10 minutes of laughter is sufficient to trigger mental and physical health benefits. Mm. And so they want to say, okay, what if you're just faking it versus real laughter? We know about real laughter. We've seen Patch Adams. We've talked about it on the show. But they said, what if you're just making it up? What if you just fake laughter? This is what they called voluntary laughter. And so they found out through the study that the body can't differentiate between simulated laughter techniques and the laughter that results from something that's genuinely funny. And it creates those same health benefits. So what they did for six weeks, they took uh, some elderly people. They attended two 45-minute physical activity sessions that included 8 to 10 laughter exercises. that lasted between 30 and 60 seconds. And the researchers found that by combining the laughter and exercise, it lowered mortality rates. It reduced the number of chronic conditions. People were happier. Heart disease, blood pressure, the whole bit. There was improvement there with these people. And not only that... They liked exercising more (laughs) Hmm. just by doing that laughter. And again, this is fake laughter. This is self-initiated laughter. Again, we already knew this for real laughter, but they found that if you could just pretend to laugh and simulate that, your body can't tell the difference and you have the same health benefits. And I thought that was fascinating that we could all incorporate. So if you're going to talk to a prospect or to a negotiation and you're in a bad mood and you're not feeling it, Maybe a little humor we've talked about, listen is something funny, or even faking the laughter can make a big difference in your body, how you feel, and your health, and your demeanor when you go into that persuasive situation or that negotiation that's really important to you.
1: So fake laugh. You know that person that looks heavily medicated, their eyes are glazed over, and you know they're fake laughing to themselves, and they end up in the loony bin? Um, <laughs> don't take it that far. It doesn't hurt to find something to laugh at.
0: Yeah, if you get locked up, give us a call, we'll do our best to get you out.
1: <laughs> <laughs> I think I I've, I've mentioned it on the show before and we really ought to get this guy on the show, Jim Lohr. and the book he wrote, The Power of Full Engagement. He analyzed professional athletes who have to perform at a very, very high level and found that even dirt with somebody who's say during a competitive tennis match, they were able to completely disengage from the process and think about something else or do something else and and he really found that athletes or business people have about a 2 hour length of time where they can perform at a high level and then they need to disengage even if it's for 5 to 10 minutes go on a walk do something that they love and i really like what he talks about and actually every day i take 5 to 10 minutes I have a snack there's a funny show on netflix i like to watch for a few minutes it makes me laugh it makes me happy remember Life is supposed to be fun, and we're supposed to enjoy it instead of always be pursuing, pursuing, working on a goal. Uh, you know, you got to take time to enjoy now. So, I certainly think that study has merit to it, right? We've got to take time to do that and remember why we're alive. You got to enjoy this,
0: and you also think you're getting away with it for being in a bad mood, putting in that fake smile, not being happy on the inside, and trying to persuade somebody. They sense it. That's a subconscious trigger. And so that makes a big difference, not only in you and how you feel and your health and your happiness, but your ability to be a power persuader. Yeah,
1: don't worry. Be happy. There we go. That's all you need. My wife and I went to a rock concert over the weekend. And you would appreciate this at the risk of offending some ears, which we've done on the show before. This genre is frequently called on the street butt rock, right? At the big hair. <laughs> <laughs> so. That's what
0: that's a new one for like, me, I've never right. heard
1: it called Butt Rock, Well, <laughs> No, I
0: haven't. That's a new one. Yeah, it's uh, Big
1: Hair Rock. So REO Speedwagon and Def Leppard were in town, but... and uh, we went and rocked out, and it was really fun. And I, I told my wife, and she was laughing at me. I said, you know, we get, I really like doing fun things. She's like, oh, do you? Wow, you like doing fun things? <laughs> <laughs> I playfully said to her, shut up. You know what I'm talking about. Yeah. <laughs> we need to take more time to go have fun and do these things. And if you're having to resort to fake laughter, maybe you ought to just get more of the real stuff. Profound advice on the show.
0: That's right. Yes. And be careful if you're doing it in your car that nobody's watching you because they might call the car. <laughs> that's,
1: that's the first image I had, that, <laughs> that glazed over person laughing that goes on a chainsaw rampage later, you know, because they're just crazy.
0: <laughs> a little that evil laugh that people
1: have. Yeah, yeah, make. that evil nervous, like, I'm going to snap any second and nobody knows what's going to happen. Well, let's get back into the main portion of the show today. Thank you for the obscure article, one of the more obscure journals that you've ever referenced. We ought to keep a running top 10 list by the way. I don't know how we haven't seen that window.
0: <laughs> keep... Of the strangest journals, journals out yeah, there?
1: Yeah, yeah, we already keep track of what countries we've offended. Can you think of a country we haven't offended?
0: Oh, I'm sure we could come up with it. How about the island of Grenada?
1: No, I think you have. I think you made fun of a cruise <laughs> there, and you got okay. up and it's the only thing they ever St. Uh,
0: Lucia. Let's see. We have to go to the small islands. Well, I don't think we got Brazil.
1: Place. Have we got to Brazil yet?
0: Well, I think I
1: think I've said some offensive things to Brazilians. Yeah. Make fun of how they handled the Olympics. That's probably where we would have got Brazil.
0: Olympics and uh, their pure honesty, which yeah, <laughs> how they treat people is always. Yeah, fun you're to really talk fat. Yeah, exactly. Yeah. the ugly one. My my wife, the ugly one. <laughs> like, you're not supposed to say that. <laughs> <laughs> but they do. I've heard them say that. I'm like, okay, you don't try that. This. I appreciate the efficiency, though. That's right. It's like, yeah, you're fatter than last time. You're like, thank you for that. Well, you don't know you're fatter? (laughs) Why does that offend you?
1: (laughs) (laughs) Well, I spent some time in the Caribbean, and I'm six feet four inches tall, which is considered to be tall uh, in most places. I was walking around with a guy for a while that was six foot seven. And so I was promptly identified as the little one. Mm -hmm. Hey, you're the little guy. I'm like, I'm about a foot and a half taller than you, and I'm the little guy? (laughs) Anyway. Yeah.
0: They're just working on yourself. Yeah,
1: well, they're good at that. So we'll have to think of a country to offend because, you know, St. Lucia we both actually love. I don't know that there's anything bad to say.
0: That's true. It's a nice place.
1: Well, okay. So last week we had Chris Voss on the show, and we have talked about this concept a lot. You and I have been tossing around the idea of getting into it a little bit more, and I think that Chris gave us the window here to do it. I fall into this trap, and I know that most persuaders do, which is, I need to persuade somebody to do something. Let me think of all the purely logical reasons as to why my idea is good or why it's better than what this person is already doing. I'll lay out a logical case, and I will win. And once you have done that a few times, you realize that that doesn't work, <laughs> right? You're not writing in an academic journal that somebody's going to cite and then keep on their toilet for a podcast reference, okay? Okay. This is an emotional game, and Chris pointed that out. I got his book, been going through it a little bit, and he told a pretty interesting story about going and persuading some Harvard negotiation professors who had taken that completely 100% logical approach. And when he brought the emotional component into it, it blew their minds, they thought it was wrong at first, and he said, well, I put this into practice every day with people. People are emotional. And that's what you have to do. And so we feel like that that's been uh, missing a little bit here on the show and in general as to our negotiation strategy and how emotion comes into play, both for us and both for the people that we're negotiating about. So, Kurt, what are a couple of things that listeners should keep in mind as they negotiate when it pertains to emotion?
0: Well, emotion, I agree, is huge. And I think our brains get a little screwed up from going to college because it's all logical. If you take a course on rhetoric, it's all about the logical and how to put it together so it flows. And like I say, it is all emotional. you got to have the logical side, but the emotion is huge. And your ability to understand emotions and have that high EQ, as Dr. Goldman calls it, in emotional intelligence. Hopefully you've heard about that. He said something interesting. He said... Understanding emotion is more pertinent to leading a successful life than having high intelligence. And that's your own emotions and other people's emotions, reading those emotions, understanding what to do with those emotions, and realizing that emotions are contagious. I think the first thing to realize is that when the emotions kick in, blood leaves the brain. They're not thinking straight, and we tend to do strange things. We tend to attack the opponent verbally, we tend to get angry and. That's what I've noticed with great persuaders and negotiators is that they check their ego at the door. They don't let things upset them, and they know the rule that only one person angry at a time, and it should never be you because if you're both angry, you're not going to go anywhere. Nothing's going to happen. You might have a great shouting match and feel that you won, but you didn't persuade them. You didn't win the negotiation, and people tend to forget that, that the yelling match or getting angry or frustrated or putting them in a highly emotional state doesn't always work. You have to realize that the emotional mind is always right. We can categorize emotions and talk about emotions, and I've always felt we should have taken an emotional class in high school or college or somewhere and say, okay, here's this feeling, that's what it's mean. that's what you do. Okay, Because a lot of people don't even know they're getting angry or, or they don't know what's happening with their emotions and their brain and the negotiation, and they just get hijacked by their amygdala or other parts of the brain, and they just don't see what's happening.
1: I had the bright idea the other day, My wife and I, we've got four kids. They're young. So, getting out the door to go do something is a project, right? This requires a lot of work, a lot of preparation. And usually, by the time we get everybody in the car and we're backing out of the garage, we're thinking, why are we doing this? This is such Mm -hmm. a terrible idea. (laughs) And this was one of those days, and my wife was getting upset with the kids, and I had the bright idea. That I was going to tell her what she had was doing wrong in this instance, and what you know she could do better. You know, I got my (laughs) my head bitten off, justifiably so. And I'm that same way too. You know, if I'm emotional and somebody comes at me, wanting to talk to me about my emotion with logic, that's never going to work. I mean, you just want to kill that person. And so we think, and I've heard this adage many times in various aspects of life that. Well, slow is smooth, and smooth is fast. When your prospect is emotional, be prepared to take your time. Don't expect to go in there and just make a few logical points and turn this thing right around. That's not going to happen. That's a
0: great point. And we've talked about this before, but I'm going bring it up here since we're talking about emotions. Never in the history of the world has it ever worked to say, you shouldn't be angry. You shouldn't be upset. Or calm
1: down. <laughs> or <Yeah>. calm down.
0: <laughs> you wouldn't understand. <laughs> Those are the rules. You have to validate that emotion. They're feeling it. Just like if you're getting on a plane and the person next to you afraid, well, you shouldn't be afraid. It's never worked. Why are you doing that? They're feeling afraid. <laughs> it is a big part of who they are, and you have to acknowledge those emotions. And that is important. And realize, too, as we get into these different emotions, I think we should talk about how to address these emotions, is when we talk about anger, you know, how do you address anger? And the first thing I want to bring up with anger is that apology is cheap (laughs) let me explain that that if someone's getting emotional or angry take the high road say i'm sorry that was not my intent i didn't mean for that to happen and move on because someone who's angry they want to fight they're looking for a fight they want to take you out but you say yeah you're right i'm sorry i apologize that was not my intent that didn't mean to happen you don't have to admit that you were wrong but that goes a long way to putting things into perspective but your ability to manage anger is critical in your emotional intelligence and your ability to persuade and negotiate because you're pushing some buttons, you're doing some things that naturally get people angry, and you have to know how to handle that.
1: And Chris Voss said that in his book, too, and I'll censor it because he said it jokingly, but the phrase, hey, look, I'm an a-hole, right? <laughs> when when someone's angry, it immediately gets them into that position. Well, no, you're not. Now they're telling you you're not, even though it's what they were thinking. It diffuses that situation of anger, I think that when we talk about negotiation and and emotions, all human beings, myself included, you included, we all, to a degree, and this can flare up, right? Sometimes we're not so much this way. Other times we definitely are. But all human beings can inherently be selfish and insecure. No. Yeah. It's a shock. And we go into these negotiations feeling that way about ourselves, that this person has the edge, that they're logical, that they're a seasoned business person and they're gonna take me apart and you're feeling emotional insecure. The other person is feeling that too. And that's the problem is we're too worried about ourselves. We gotta realize that on the other side of that table is an emotional person. They have fears, they have insecurities, and we have to take time to understand how what they're feeling and what their problem is. Instead of worry too much about convincing them to do something that takes care of our fear and our problem. Thoughts?
0: That's exactly right. We've said that before. We're not thinking creatures that feel. We're feeling creatures that think. And you have to understand these emotions, especially anger. And realizing that anger has been categorized as a secondary emotion, meaning what we're angry about and really angry about could be two very different things. Couples that fight over the toilet seat and toothpaste, other issues. (laughs) Right? Right? Or this student I have in my university class had a black eye. I said, what happened? You know, my roommate hit me. I'm like, why? He says, I was eating my cereal too loud. Okay, other issues. (laughs) And so when they're getting angry at you, there could be other issues, other things happening. Don't take it personally. Apology is cheap. And you've got to get the blood back in their brain. And there's a couple ways you can do that. Now, if it's just a little anger, you could start asking questions and lead them down the path to get a little blood back in their brain. You can find a common enemy. If it's something out there that they're mad about, yeah, government, yeah, economy, yeah, taxes, yeah, that other company, yeah, you did get screwed. Hey, let's go. Crank it up. Let's common an enemy and go after it. Now, you don't want to make sure that it's you or your company, obviously. You don't want that to be the common enemy. But if you can find a common enemy, yeah, let's go out. Let's crank it up and diffuse it. That can work out really well. You might want to take a break, change venue, go for lunch. Go out for a walk in the sunshine, fresh air. Just any type of change of venue could work really well, too. Just, again, take a deep breath. Get the blood back in the brain. When we feel anger, there's that physiological response where the blood leaves the brain. The face actually turns red sometimes or even pale because it's fight or flight. It's just a natural response. There's nothing you can do about it. It automatically happens. And the last one I'd add, too, is maybe some type of distraction. I remember I was called up to go monitor negotiation I got there on time, but the other people were already there. They're upstairs yelling and arguing and fighting. They didn't even see me come in. They didn't hear me. They didn't acknowledge me. And I got up there, and I noticed on the top of the stairs was a box of packing peanuts. And So I kicked it down the stairs. To dunk to dunk <laughs> Right? Peanuts everywhere. Box going down. I'm the stupid one. They're looking at me. They're looking at the box. They're looking at me, looking at the box. The box is rolling down the stairs. Peanuts everywhere. But that was enough time. For them just to realize out of control, a little blood back in the brain, all right, let's shift gears a little bit. So sometimes a little distraction can be really healthy there in that situation, but only one person angry at a time. You have to understand that emotion. Do not take it personally. You understand this just one emotion, it'll make a huge difference in every aspect of your negotiation.
1: A couple things that you said there got me thinking, let me know if I'm off here.
0: But, well, you're off. Yeah, well. Oh, mentally or just with your karma? No,
1: just mentally in general. Am I doing oh, a terrible sorry. job at life? Is that, yeah? Okay. <laughs> okay. Yeah. All right, move on. <laughs> Daniel Goldman, who wrote Emotional Intelligence, spends a fair amount of time talking about the amygdala, that little peanut-shaped piece of the brain that assesses threats, and it releases a bunch of chemicals as soon as somebody uh, feels threatened. And when the amygdala gets fired up, you're not going to logically have a conversation with anybody. And so you walked into that situation, but I seem to remember him saying that on average it takes at least 20 minutes for all those chemicals that amygdala injects into the brain to start to wear off. Does that sound familiar, or did I make that up?
0: It sounds familiar. It's not instant. It is a process. It's not, hey, let me tell you a joke. Okay, you're all better. Let's move on. It is a process. That's why if you can just take a break or do some other things and and realize it's going to take a little time for them to get back in gear. And you can see it in their face and what they're saying and how they're acting. But don't expect a one-minute solution here. Make 10, 15, 20 minutes, whatever it takes to get them back on track. Then you can continue the negotiation because if they're not thinking straight, a clever phrase, a close, a a logical appeal statistic is not going to help you out.
1: Slow is smooth and smooth is fast. Exactly. Have you ever been in the position, I, I get in this one a lot, where your company screwed up and somebody, even though it was not their fault at all, just needs to take the heat. <laughs> somebody has just <laughs> got to take it because this is not going to get solved until somebody does.
0: Absolutely. And it's refreshing to people say, well, yeah, I screwed up. We blew it. Sorry. Let's make it right. They're like, yes, you did. I'm like, yeah, we did. We're going to make it right, though. And this is how we're going to do it. can be very refreshing. Because there's an interesting Chinese proverb that says that the man that strikes first admits his ideas have given yeah. out.
1: Yeah.
0: <laughs> That's one of my favorites because... They don't know what to do. They've come to a negotiation. They didn't prepare. They had one solution. It didn't work out. You didn't accept it. Now what? Blood leaves the brain. Their expectations are not met. Unmet expectations turn to frustrations. That frustration can quickly turn to anger. I mean, that's how the emotional cycle works because they didn't have other solutions. They couldn't make the pipe bigger. They didn't see any other win-win. They didn't prepare. And now you're stuck holding the bag because you did prepare. But now you know what's going on. It's going to help you with
1: the negotiation. So I think the main takeaway here is anytime you go into a negotiation... Instead of spending all this time on, you know, when they offer this, I'm going to offer that. What are all the logical points? I mean, that's not a, uh, I don't want to say it's a waste of time to think about those things. But it is a waste of time to lead with those things. And it's kind of along the lines of the late Stephen R. Covey who says, seek first to understand. I think the best use of time for a negotiation is to go in there and try to understand the emotion behind what the other person is doing and why they want what they want. Would you agree?
0: Yeah, and you could ask the right questions, it might seem logical, but if you could take the time to, okay, what is the motion behind this logic? What's really happening here? Why are they feeling this? Then you're more equipped to understand that emotion, deal with that emotion throughout the negotiation, and make sure that it doesn't get hijacked.
1: Yeah, and it's an art. You've got to get good at it because old school negotiators are trained, don't show your emotions. Mm, right. So Exactly right. That's the big fight here. Get somebody to play the cards and show the emotions. All right, great, Kurt. Well, let's... Cue up the ninja. All right. Go, ninja, go. So I actually was right in the middle of this one. And a couple of years ago, I was feeling like I was missing things hearing. I I was, you know, did I have a bunch of wax in my ears? What's going on here? And I went in and got tested, and I actually had some hearing loss. It was in the spectrum of human speech, so it was a bad place to have hearing loss. I could hear loud or like deep noises and high pitch noises, just fine. But I was starting to miss a few things. And the audiologist told me, well, at some point, you're going to need to do something about that, but you're probably not far enough. It's going to be a minor hassle at this point. Fast forward a few years. I still feel like it's there. It's, you know, kind of annoying, but I'm getting through life. Okay. It's when somebody's walking away from me talking, that's when I'm saying, what, you know, I really miss that stuff. You kind of, forget how much you rely on lip reading. And people who have hearing loss uh, do rely on lip reading more than they usually think. I went and saw another specialist and I am not here to talk about the scientific merits of what he said. I'm just talking about the persuasion side of it. But he took me through a, a masterfully crafted presentation based on emotion and scarcity and the fear of loss, literally, right? And gave me this presentation showing pictures uh, that microscopes had taken of the the cochlea, the inner ear, and how when sound travels through the cochlea, there are these little fibers that trigger nerve responses to the brain and that people who experience hearing loss start to get some of those little fibers breaking off or deteriorating. And so it becomes harder for the brain to pick up sounds that those particular fibers are assigned to. In my case human speech, mostly around consonants in the middle of words. So what did he tell me? He showed me a study that some scientists had done that those fibers actually, if they're stimulated by a hearing aid, can still pick up that sound and they can still be okay. And if you don't get a hearing aid, the brain, being the efficient organ that it is, begins pruning those connections. It says, hey, we're not using this. We don't need this. Let's cut it. And you never get it back again. It's gone forever. Your hearing loss is accelerated, and it actually uh, hurts your brain. It makes you a little dumber because it just stops processing things in that range, and you lose some of your brain power. (laughs) Well, sign me up, right? Uh, Like I said, whether that's the pure scientific side of it or not, I don't know, but I definitely signed up. And I I don't use hearing aids all the time, but I use them for meetings and a few things where I need to be really on my game. And I thought that's a, a well crafted argument in scarcity that definitely gets people to make emotionally based decisions. Thoughts?
0: Yeah, that's great. Permanent damage, brain damage. I mean, for you, more brain damage, right? Yeah. <laughs> and yeah, that's well crafted. A lot of fear. I've heard some radio commercials saying that, yeah, you'll never get it back. It's done. I mean, in the size of a walnut or whatever they were using, as far as this, it could cause dementia and Alzheimer's. And you're like, whoa, whoa, whoa. And just for the small price you can save your brain. Yeah. <laughs> is great. No, it's a great use of scarcity and a well crafted presentation because got you.
1: Got me. Got you. I'm not and easy to get.
0: It. I know. That fear, little scarcity, it's gotta be done now, you can't wait. And that's why scarcity works so well in that type of fear, because you're like, I've got years. I'm not ready for hearing aids now. I can do this anytime. No rush. But now all of a sudden he gave you a reason. Why it was important, it needed to be taken care of right away.
1: Compelling scarcity on a prospect who otherwise was in no hurry whatsoever. Right. You were indifferent and all of a sudden you care. Yep. They move a lot of hearing aids with that line, I think. Pretty, mm-hmm. They oh, loved yeah. that study came out. <laughs> oh, yeah. All right. Well, that's great, everybody. Thank you once again for listening to the show. This has been episode... Shoot, what, I think we kind of lost track on episodes. There is a lost episode out there.
0: We're trying to find it. We will find it, but we, we'll get it.
1: We didn't purposely hold back episode 156. That's the one I think. It's We had an interview scheduled that ended up canceling, and so we're going to get that handled. You know, remember, I got the hearing aids. I don't have dementia yet.
0: <laughs> yet. Well, so you think.
1: <laughs> That's right. Do the people that have it know that they have it?
0: <laughs> That's right. <laughs>
1: Crazy people don't know they're crazy. Look, now we've offended the crazy people.
0: Oh, well, you know. The worst ones to offend. That's right. They want revenge.
1: (laughs) Yes. Watch for the crazy tweets coming out. So, everybody, once again, we appreciate you listening to the show. We will catch you next week on another episode of Maximize Your Influence. Take
0: care. Persuade with power.